The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors, Leaders and Business podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over the UK about their careers and business. I'm your host, Marlene Lowe, founder and director of Tichborne Promotions and long-term IOD member. Russell Dalgleish from Exalta Capital Partners and Scottish Business Network spoke with us today about being in the moment and living 24 hours at a time. He's learned from his experiences and has crafted a career that fits into his mindset of what success looks like. He speaks of healthy work-life balances and carving out your own version of what that looks like. I, for one, came away from this talk with a renewed outlook on what a work-life balance is and the actions we can take to achieve those balances. Hi, I'm Russell Dalgleish. I'm based just outside Edinburgh. Um, but my career has actually primarily been based out of London and internationally. Mm -hmm. So uh, the last year, which we have spent during lockdown, has been particularly interesting for me. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I live in the countryside and I have a home office that we built a few years ago. So I've been able to come into this space um, every day and... So I have a number of business interests. One of them is a highly successful advisory practice, Exalta, mainly working with London-based companies which are going through accelerated growth. That accelerated growth tends to enter new markets, London being a very international city. So I work with them to help them to develop strategies and implement those for international markets. I also chair an organization called Scottish Business Network, uh, this is an organization that's partnered on several events with the IOD. It is in effect Scotland's business diaspora organization. So we have about 40 million people around the world who can claim some form of Scottish ancestry. What we try to do is to work with a small fraction of those who are in the business community. So today we have about 10,000 people in our community based across 76 countries. And I have this wonderful role that during lockdown, through the use of products such as Zoom, I've been able to converse with these individuals across the globe. So if we look at today as a typical day, so I rose at um, 5.30 a.m. and started with calls into New Zealand and Australia at 6 a.m. and then sort of followed the sun because I then moved from there to calls into Singapore and KL. Uh, I then did a call before this one into Germany. We're now into UK time, so I'll be working primarily from here, but I do have some calls into Tel Aviv. And then as we move into the afternoon in the UK, 
my focus switches to the US and Canada. My final call tonight is about 9 p.m. into San Francisco. Now, that wouldn't have been possible a year ago because the perception of our mindset would be we really have to meet people. So that would have involved an awful lot of flights, etc. But we have all, and I mean this all globally, understood now that we can communicate successfully digitally globally. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. So um, we've just celebrated International Women's Day. So for International Women's Day, I interviewed a young female entrepreneur who's building a fantastic education charity in a slum in Mumbai. And we did a Zoom interview with her and with someone else in the area. And we did it just as I'm doing this with you now. And this is a great empowerment of technology. So provided we can put this technology into everyone's hands, I think it's fantastic for the world. Absolutely. It definitely opens up doors that we wouldn't otherwise have chosen to walk through. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and doors that we, we can walk through with, with really without standing up. <laughs> I was, um, I, was uh, I celebrated my mother's 80th birthday yesterday. My mother lives in, in Bath. And uh, so the whole family was on a Zoom call. Lovely. And I was asked, uh, you know, what, what had changed for me during lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, for my whole life, I've been asked one question. Most people that meet me ask this one question. And I've never been asked that one question during lockdown. Okay. And the What's question? The question? <laughs> and the question is, how tall are you? <laughs> Is true you are very tall <laughs> not in the last year i'm i like the rest of us i'm just a talking head but the, the, the analogy is very important though mm. because we're all on the same level playing field now we're all of the same height we're all of the same capability to communicate and you know if there's one thing i would urge people to do within the IOD and anyone who's developing themselves as a leader is to work your network. So my network was large before the pandemic struck. My network now is enormous. So I spent, from the moment the pandemic struck, I started reaching out to people. Initially, I reached out to everyone who was a connection of mine on LinkedIn who I possibly hadn't spoken to for a year. So I went through a campaign for the whole of April and May 2020, where I reached out to 30 people a day and just asked them how they were and could I help them in any way? Could I assist with the struggling? And it's been such a, a an incredible time to build networks, particularly making new connections. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your background. Did you always know that you wanted to be in the position you are today? No, um, <laughs> quite, quite, quite clearly no. So um, I was brought up in the Scottish borders town of Selkirk, which is a town of about 5,000, 6,000 people, about 40 miles south of Edinburgh. Um, to give you an idea of how isolated it is in terms of my childhood experience, I can remember um, one of the, the, probably the most exciting thing that happened to me in 1977 was that my father put my brother and I into the back of a Volkswagen Beetle 
and drove 40 miles to Edinburgh, which took about two hours. Um, my dad was a great pipe smoker at the time and, and would, would demand the windows were closed. So two hours suffering from car sickness in the back of a Volkswagen Beetle with your dad smoking a pipe meant that we got the opportunity to stop a couple of times for people to be unwell at the side of the road. We then traveled, it's almost as like a Victorian expedition to the city of Edinburgh. We went to a cinema. So the cinema was a 400 seater single screen auditorium. And we sat there to watch a film. We had no idea what the film was. It was just, there was a film every Saturday. So we sat there and the opening titles came up of Star Wars. Now, that's, that was the childhood I was brought up in. And my family had lived in that town for 400 years. The name Dalgleish, the first mention of it is from the 1400s, which is about five miles from Selkirk. My family didn't travel far. I was the first of my family to go to college. And uh, I decided to study computing in the early 80s, simply because of that experience through uh, fiction and science fiction whereby I thought there was going to be something different happening and I wanted to be part of it. So I originally, so I came to Edinburgh to study at a college there and uh, got a very, uh, I managed to scrape a degree as a computer programmer, then went to work in a bank as a computer programmer. And then I had a transformational moment in my life. So I was four years at the bank. They, they took me on board as their first ever um, intern. Mm-hmm first ever intern at the bank on the, on the development. So their, their no. standard was really low. There were, <laughs> two of us, there were two of us at the final interview for the internship in 1984. Uh, myself and the other chap, the other chap's hair touched the ground. <laughs> so that was my entry qualification was I had short, they told me this, I had shorter hair. So after, after four years as a technologist at the bank, the bank sat me down and asked me whether I wanted to train as a technologist and excel in my career there or become a banker. And these were the, these were the two options at the time, both very good careers. And um, I was very fortunate to make this offer. And I think I must have realized that night that I was an entrepreneur because I went to work the next day and resigned. Really? Because, yeah, because I, I had never really considered what I wanted to do with my career. I just turned up with my mates and did computing. I was now a business analyst and was coming up and down the road to London. But that moment when I was asked to make a decision, the decision was I didn't want to do either of those. So I, I, I transitioned my career and I, I took a job. In, I used my technology qualifications to get a job in really in support of marketing for another company because I wanted to do marketing. I got involved in sales and then my, my career continued from there and then in the last 20 years the first 10 of those were spent in turnarounds in London and Switzerland and then from 2010 to today I've had this um, portfolio career where I sit on the board of a number of companies and I really spend my life focused on others and trying to help them my, my specialist skill if you like is in business so I help them to develop and move their businesses forward Wow. Do you feel like you've found your thing now, the thing that makes you tick and you want to continue for the next 20 years? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. So I believe what we have to do is to continually adapt. 
So I've, I've done this. So I've had this underlying technology interest. So I am a technologist. So when I get a new smartphone, I go into the settings and I change every single setting to see what happens. <laughs> so, 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 so I identify, so I know I'm a technologist. Yeah. I also know I have a, um, a I'm quite good as a communicator, particularly verbally. But what I'm adept at, and perhaps where my unfair advantage is, is in uh, the ability to build connections. And so that's more and more what's happening with my career. I sit on the board of, I think it's three community organizations, organizations with global memberships and defining how to expand and excel and grow those. So, but, but tomorrow my life could change. So I'm, I'm very much, I live life 24 hours at a time and I focus on what's in front of me there and then and get that done. So that, and, and that ability, I think it's a great, a, a, I'm very fortunate as a leader. I have an ability to block everything out, to focus on this precise moment. So at this precise moment, I'm with Marlene doing this discussion. And it's simply that. And, and that's a great thing for a leader to be able to do, block yeah. out everything else to focus. So what I find interesting is you've talked about your childhood and, and being in the same place as a family for 400 years. What do you think? Not me personally, but yeah. No, not you personally. <laughs> You're only 35, Russell. <laughs> what, but what is it within you, do you think, that made you step outside of those boundaries and decide to do something so vastly different from your heritage? Um, I'm not... I, I, I never really examine those aspects of of who I am because I have this this philosophy of living within the twenty four hours. So I, I I don't really know. I think you know I I was very poor performer at school, but it was only when I've tended to react to opportunities. So when I was sixteen, there was an opportunity, and the opportunity was that I worked out I didn't want to stay in that town, so I had a reason to leave the town I was brought up in, um, and. I worked out there were two ways to leave. One was to join the army, and the other one was to go on to some form of further education. So at six foot five, I think I sort of thought I'd make quite a big target if I was <laughs> in a military uniform. And I had this stuck in my head that that's yeah. probably not a good thing to be. So um, I, I decided to study. So at that stage, what I did was, particularly at 17, was I worked incredibly hard to pass exams. I don't think I learned, but I just decided in order to get to that next stage, I must do this. And, and that, that's what I did. So the trigger point was more a drive of what I didn't want to do. So I, I wanted to leave and do something else. And that's been a, a, a recurring theme, I think, through a lot of my career is that it's almost not so much going after what I, I particularly love, as much as avoiding what I don't enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's a really important thing for a leader. So as a leader, we can typically take on too much and can be weak at delegating. And what I've done and been very fortunately good at is delegating the things that I really don't want to do. So I, I, I work out, you know, like, um, I, I'm, I'm often complimented on how good I am at and business plans at putting in the financials. And I'm not, I'm terrible at it. I just happen to have three of the best FDs in the UK who are friends. So <laughs> I work with them. And, and then, so it's, it's that ability to find people much better than me 
to actually do these tasks that are not my forte. And, and as you become, as you start to build growing businesses, so if you look at Scottish Business Network, it's a, it's a not-for-profit introductory organisation that um, is all about trying to create jobs in Scotland through um, assisting Scottish companies to grow. Now, initially in that organisation, I would have to do a lot of different things. But today I'm more, I'm the chair and my responsibility is to meet people and talk about what we do. And then there are other people who will pick up those different tasks. And we saw that most clearly this year when we opened our first international office by creating a company in New York. So that amazingly, the Scottish diaspora in the US got together to support us by creating a, a Scottish Business Network US entity as a not-for-profit. And it's quite interesting as a, as a leader, you're kind of going, but it's mine. I want to decide what's going to happen <laughs> everywhere. But you look at time difference in culture and you go, no, no, it's much better to support them. And that's something that's been quite key for me in the last, probably the last five years, is I've really changed my leadership style to enabling others. And that's that's been really important, is that my job is to be there to to help others, not to to go off and 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 do things myself. And it sounds like, well, that's not going to lead to things, but I have a myriad of opportunities that come across my path every day. So there's there's no problem finding people to work with and to help. If anything, that's a lesson that all leaders should learn or all people wanting to grow their business. It is about enabling other people to do the jobs, isn't it? So that you it, can step back and pursue other opportunities. It is, but I also feel that everyone in a leadership position is different. I, I don't think, I, I think sometimes we can look... I once read a book about, um, you know, why we have such, particularly in the UK, we have such clear classification systems and we say that's that. You know, if you look at music, we'll say, well, that's rock music or that's dance music. No, we'll, we'll put things into boxes. And they looked at the, um, the Victorian period when there was incredible wealth and for the first time leisure time amongst the wealthy in the UK. And so many Victorians became obsessed with the classification systems initially coming from Darwin. And, and this idea about putting people in boxes and going, all leaders are this. I think all human beings are unique. And we're not only unique, but we also have a habit of changing over time. Now, so from my work with leaders, my position is I try to look at where I can fit in. Where, where is the piece that they're struggling with where I can help? I, I think that there's an awful lot of leadership training out there. Um, and, and I feel before anyone does leadership training, they have to spend a long time understanding who they are themselves. So that self-analysis allows us to identify where our gaps in that we may need training or support. And self-analysis requires acute honesty, not only honesty with those around about us, but honesty with ourselves. You know, we have to be honest about the fact, you know, I really want to be good at that, but I'm not. So how am I going to do it? And it's really difficult for a lot of us. We want to be, you know, that there are certain things that we would love people to like us for being good at. And that's just not our forte. We've got to pull in other resources. When it comes to growing businesses, one of the challenges is the skill set for the person who starts the business may not be the skill set for the person to lead the business as it grows. If I look at myself, I have no, um, I have very limited interest in working with major corporates 
because it's not it's not where I get excited. It's not where my skill set's best suited. But companies that are turning over less than say fifty million, that's mm-hmm. that, those types of individuals and those companies I seem to fit well with, with yeah. being able to help them to accelerate their growth. Okay, now. You speak about um, self-awareness and, and that that in and of itself is quite a strenuous journey, I suppose. It's at the start, at least, like starting that journey of, of self-awareness can be quite daunting and, and scary. Yeah. How, how do you actually take that step to become that self-aware? I had a, um, a life-changing experience in the late 90s, which required me to reevaluate my life. Um, and I was working for a, a disk drive company, hard drives. So at the time, um, I was spending first week of the month in California, week two in London, week three in Tokyo, week four at home in kind of like a cycle. Realizing it, it was just way too much pressure. Um, and I re- it, it came to a head on a flight back from Tokyo to London. And th- this is before the internet. When you went traveling, you went traveling and no one heard from you. So on the flight back from Tokyo to Heathrow, the flight was diverted to Dusseldorf because of fog. So this meant I would be home 24 hours later. At this stage, we had, a, we had three kids under five, three very boisterous boys. So I was going to have to land, phone my wife and say, I'm going to be another day late getting back. So when the on the, on the tarmac, the um, air hostess came over to me and said, um, is everything wrong? Can, do you need anything? Are you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. She said, it's just that you're crying. And I hadn't, hadn't realized that I was having a, 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 a some kind of episode. Wow. That that required me to go through a period of reevaluating what I was doing. I stepped down from that job. And then I went through a period of probably a couple of years. I, I just stepped back. So... My life had been about, I think the way I'd been brought up was that climbing a career ladder was the thing to do. And a lot of the time when you're climbing a career ladder, you're pushing other people off the ladder. It's quite an aggressive lifestyle like that. So I've reevaluated myself. I was very fortunate to get a very simple sales job based in Edinburgh, um, home every night at five o'clock. And it was it, it was very good, but it gave me that time to think about who I was and what I wanted to be. I knew I couldn't continue like that. You know, it, it wasn't delivering the drive that I wanted. But then over time, I kind of reinvented who I am. To now come to a period where people will say to me, but but Russell, you're a really bad example because you just told us you've worked, you're, today you will work from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. You're going to burn out. And I'm going, no, I'm not. I, I have a very explicit way about the way I live my life. I know when I'm, under, I'm feeling under pressure. I know when there are there are risks. I know when I have to rest. So I might decide that tomorrow I'm not going to work and I'm going to go cycling exactly. tomorrow. So, so, yeah. so, but that, but living your life in that way requires you to, to build a, a career, if you like, that gives you that flexibility. So this was the driver in 2010 when we started Exalta because it was the opportunity there to have control over our own time. So that control over time allows me the flexibility to live life and work life the way I want to do it. Now, hopefully I'm still delivering value to my clients. And, you know, I've had most of my clients for many years, so it seems to be working. But it also works for me and it works for my family. So having that time is the most precious resource. We have a an obsession with money, but it's actually time 
that is is the freedom to do what you want to do that's what that's what's so important and you no know, my wife and i have been so fortunate we've been able to travel a great deal we've been able to um find things because so, we talk about leadership in in the business but there's also leadership at home you know that at home when you have children the children grow up develop then leave home and then your wife and you are there and it's a different relationship and we've worked really hard at finding things that we like doing together so for example we love cycling in spain so we'll spend a lot of time doing that because that's what we enjoy doing together but it also requires me to build a career which means i don't work with anyone that says russell on the 18th of march you have to go there yeah <laughs> I've got control over my own life so and yeah. but it's really important to work out what's right for you and to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons so another question that's been on my mind since since we since you mentioned it is this 24 hour mentality of everything yeah. that's very much living in the moment yeah and it's become very popular now to be able to live in the moment. And, and there's a lot of research about the, the importance of being able to live in the moment and not let it just pass you by. Yeah. But again, that that takes, for me at least, it's, it's about having a very strong mental awareness and discipline. So again, how do you do that? How do you get yourself into that mindset of where it's, it's normal for you now to think 24 hours at a time? It's quite challenging because I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, it involves taking actions about particular things that can take you out of the 24 hours. And we have to be quite honest about what these things are. They're the things we don't like talking about. So it's taking resentments. So resentments are one of the things that destroys companies and we never talk about them. So the resentment is the fact that you and I could be running this company together. We're really successful, but you just missed a call. And I don't know why you missed the call. And that's terrible. Thinking about it, you're always missing calls. When I really think about it, I hate you. And it, I, I start to, this starts to bite away inside us for no reason whatsoever. The way we have to address it is we have to be honest about it. And we have to say, you know, the only thing I can change is Russell. I can't change Marlene. So if you're continually late for a call, I'd probably say, look, you're always late for a call. Go and stop doing that. And we discuss it. We don't, don't allow it to to sort of seize away in the background. But what I do though, what you have to do living life 24 hours is to look at yourself and go, why would Marlon always be late for the calls? Like I've known her for years. We've worked together for a long time. Maybe she's got problems. Maybe she's got issues. Maybe there's something I could do to help her. So it's to look at yourself first. So looking at things that can can eat away at you, that's, that's very bad. Trying to forecast into the future and it, it's a terrible business thing because we, we build financial forecasts on spreadsheets now we have to be clear right these are best guesses <laughs> yes <laughs> they're not they're not a definition of what the future is going to look like they are simply based on what we know now that's probably our best guess the next three months we're probably fairly sure of the next nine roughly sure of the year after that fingers crossed that's what might happen <laughs> But we have to be completely honest. It's just a spreadsheet. It's a guess. So try not to try not to think. You know, if if I say um, if 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 I say something on this call, then 
Marlon will record it and then it'll go out in London and then someone will see it and I'll make a new friend and I'll win a new business account and then I'll be really successful. So annihilate all of that. There's only what can happen in the 24 hours. So in terms of our discussion, all I can do is to have the discussion with you. And then I'll leave it and go on to the next thing. So not to worry about how one event will trigger another event or trigger another event. We can try to plan these, but planning is about risk management, particularly in business. Now, now everyone must understand that now after what we've just been through. Fingers crossed. <laughs> like, so tomorrow, um, hopefully in Scotland, we'll see some lifting of some of the restrictions. But the restrictions might come back again the following week. We don't know. There may be a different type of virus. There may be an, another Icelandic volcano. There may be, you no, know, whatever can happen. And, and it's not to think about, damn, that terrible thing's happened. My plan's not going to work now. It's about, right, how do I adjust my plan to adapt to that? How do I show leadership with my team so that they're confident in the fact I know what I'm doing? This, this thing about reflection and leadership is so important. So I had it once where um, I was running a, an 80-man team in Hammersmith in London. And I went into my office one day and I'd had a terrible fight with my wife in the morning on the telephone. Okay, so did, And I'm grumpy. So I arrive at work and I just stride straight into my office and sit down and have a cup of coffee. And I think I'll get into work and it'll all be better. Half an hour later, the HR director came in to see me and she said, Russell, you're going to have to talk to all the staff. I said, why? What's happened? She said, you've happened. You've not behaved consistently today. Normally you come in smiling and say hello to everybody. Instead, you've just gone straight to your office. So everyone in the company assumes the company's about to go bust. Oh no. Because- You just had a fight with your wife. <laughs> I know, because, but they, didn't, they don't know the story. All they yeah. know is the reaction. So yeah. by going out there and having a laugh about it and saying, right, I'm now ordering the flowers. I'm going to have to order flowers now because of what I've done and yeah. taking personal responsibility for it. And, and it's so easy as, as leaders that we can miss these. Yeah. You know, we can just, a lot of it, as my mother would say, it's about taking ourselves too seriously. <laughs> but, but we have to think about how we affect others. So to come back to your question about living within 24 hours, it, it's actually, to be honest, it's all we can do. It's our brain that disappears off and we just have to keep bringing it back to focus on the now. What are we doing for the next five minutes, particularly in crisis? In crisis, it's five minutes at a time, right? We're going to focus on this. We've got to reach a decision in the next half an hour. That's six five-minute sections. Go. Let's go and do it. You know, I've seen fantastic things happen during this period. You know, you know we would never have thought that HMRC could adapt the way it has adapted in the last 12 months at lightning speed. If someone had told us we were going to roll out furlough schemes in the UK, we'd assumed it would take us five years. <laughs> the assumption would have been, we're going to vaccinate the whole population. Well, give us five years and see how we get on. But actually, we have inherent skills to be able to do these things. We've also noticed in our political leaders that the one thing we want from them is clarity and honesty. Yes. You know, we've seen... You know, I remember some of the early um, um, the British Prime Minister's um, talks where there was spreadsheets that were going up with angles about what was happening and it was disappearing off the screen. And we're all going, oh, my God, we're doomed. <laughs> it was just the communication. 
I yeah. mean, we've seen this. this. This changes in leadership styles and the changes in the way that we communicate. It's been, it's been really interesting about how I think leadership's developed, but mm. living life 24 hours at a time, it's just a mantra and it takes, it's like anything. It's like um, getting fit for a sporting event. You just have to keep practicing and bringing yourself back into it. Yeah, practice makes perfect every yeah. time. If everyone came together, what would be the one lesson that you wish that you would have taught all of those people? Assume a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. So whatever the action is, assume it's going to have a positive outcome. So when I pour a cup of coffee and it's from a coffee machine I haven't used before, I assume that coffee is going to be good. When we define a project, I assume it's going to work. Now, the reason this is really important is that as business people, we're making stuff up. We use terminology such as vision. So I have a vision we're going to do that, right? So when I was six years old and I had a vision about doing something, I was basically making stuff up, right? So that's what we're doing. So let's just assume it's going to be successful. And let's get everyone else on board that it's going to be successful as well. And think about how, how will success mean for them? So if I'm assuming we're going to have a positive outcome, I'll, I'll give you an example. So um, four years ago, um, I stood on a stage in London dressed in a kilt. I was on my way to a black tie dinner. And I stood in front of 50 senior execs of Scottish descent in business. And I told them, four years ago, with no money at all, that we were going to build a global organization to interconnect Scots in business right across the planet. It would be underplayed by a piece of technology that would link them all together, and we would have representatives in every city on earth. And I said that, and I said, that's my vision, that's what we're going to do. And everyone went, we like that, we'll help you do that, we believe you. Now, I had a rough idea of that. And if I look at four years ago, what our idea was, that was never going to work. We've had to adapt it and change and adapt it and change and adapt it and change. But I opened an office in New York last week. You know, it's happening. This week, this week I will appoint uh, SBN or Scottish ambassadors to a further three cities. Um, a young lady in Seattle in Washington State, a gentleman in Hyderabad in India, and a gentleman in La Paz in Bolivia. Now, I have to be right honest here, right? So four years ago, when I gave the vision, I didn't know where La Paz was. And then that's what it's about. So it's about having the vision and assuming a positive outcome, but also, also understanding that the path to get there is going to change all the time. So in four years, absolutely no change in the vision, complete change in the, the delivery of that. So. My one piece of advice would be, let's just assume a positive outcome. So let's assume that call I'm about to make is going to have a positive outcome. That would be my, my, my thought, I think. The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continue to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when the government is reviewing policy, legislation 
or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Join the conversation and share your thoughts on today's episode by engaging with us on Twitter or joining the LinkedIn group.